This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut, Babette. We would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, from whose land we are broadcasting at Radio 3CR, and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. Today our focus is on Russia. No, not the war in Ukraine, though that is having a big impact on emissions and sending electric shockwaves through Europe as the pipelines of gas and oil from Russia close down or send prices through the roof. We're going to talk to Vitaly Svetnik from Friends of the Earth in Russia. They've been part, become part of a court case taking the Russian state to task on its lack of sufficient climate action. These court cases are happening all around the world now, thick and fast, and how brave they are in Russia to take the government to court on this issue. I think you will be inspired by his words. As activists are being especially targeted for mobilisation into the Russian army, I located him in the Netherlands. He says that the authoritarian state will continue extracting as long as there is demand. And as European demand slows down its gas and oil from Russia, they are finding new markets in India and China. They can already transport the oil and the gas can eventually be piped east rather than west. Vitali says we must all work on energy efficiency and indeed, news from France, I found this very heartening. The whole nation of France, all citizens are being called on to uh, have energy sobriety. It's doing things with less energy. So these are turbulent times. I couldn't help thinking how much responsibility this puts on Australia. We are not an authoritarian state. We are not at war. And we stand to make huge profits out of the minerals like lithium and copper, which will go into the batteries and equipment of the renewables transition. Surely our challenge is to not only decarbonize our own economy, but to help other countries leapfrog over the fossil fuel energy supply and into renewable energy transitions. We must put our heads together and plan our exit from coal and gas exports. There's a big push on to all sign up to a new, uh, not a nuclear, it's a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty. Australia's already thinking about no new coal and gas projects. And wouldn't it be great if the whole free world, the world where people can influence politicians, got behind a treaty to not have any new coal, oil and gas um, coming onto the market. As the conversation with Vitali went on, the similarity between Australia and Russia became very clear to me. We're both fossil fuel exporters and we see ourselves, our jobs as tied to that still in many places. And it became stark to me that the only difference is our agency here in Australia and our capacity to turn this around. If we're depending on Russia, which you've seen through all the scenes of the Ukraine war on your television set, how little agency people must feel there, even to resist going into the army, even to, to change the path of their, their government policy, it's, it's up to us. After that, I bring you a 2020 interview with James Whitmore, he interviewed journalist Angelina Davidova, who specialises in environment and climate reporting. And although it's from 2020, the issues are still live there. The emissions are rising and the environment is crumbling. And Angelina reported on it so well then that I think it's worth a replay. Vitaly Sevetnik is speaking to us from Europe. He's one of a group of Russians taking their government to court to demand a reduction in greenhouse gases. 
Russia signed the 2015 Paris Agreement and is itself very badly affected by climate change, like we are in Australia. We reported on that in 2020, that they'd reached 38 degrees centigrade in the Arctic, which is warmer, warming much faster than the rest of the world. Their boreal forests with less snow most years is drying out and catching fire. And the cracks in the permafrost under, for example, oil storage tanks are causing oil spills. And then there is methane bubbling up. So Vitaly Servetnik is the co-chair of Russia's socio-ecological union. It is part of Friends of the Earth. So welcome, Vitaly. Would you like to tell us what it's like where you are today? So, I mean, currently I'm in the Netherlands, so I'm side of uh, Russia. And uh, that's a problematic question if I will be able any soon go back because of the mobilization. And it's basically, um, I mean, it's like every question I will touch, I have to like explain a little bit more yes. and give some some background for that. But the the situation that, I mean, that that officially called the, the partial mobilization, but the, the what was pronounced by the um, President Putin, but the, in the fact that uh, the, the documents behind that doesn't say so. And the practice that we're seeing already, it's, uh, saying that basically they're trying to grab whoever is accessible or who is uh, less kind of resistant to that. Uh, so that's basically like everyone. Uh, we are trying to also identify from the statistics if the, the activists somehow targeted more, but that's hard to say because like also lawyers just overwhelmed with the amount of cases need to provide to different people. And that's hard to say, but we had this practice before when the Russian army or the uh, drafting to the Russian army was also used as a tool to target activists so kind of make them silent in the russian army instead of being being activists somewhere so that's also a possibility for, for for many of my colleagues as well okay well look let's i think you're very brave to be taking on the climate in in a country where the focus is on so many other things and russia like australia it's so like australia you're a big exporter of fossil fuels we are too our our future depends on it according to the government that's very hard to get them to change their position and you're trying to do that so um would you start by describing i gave an overview of what i think the climate impact on russia might be but what what from your point of view where is the real worry about what's happening to russia from global emissions um sure um, i will just start with the the situation on the i mean bravery and whatever it's called everything it just i mean for for many activists in russia it's just a kind of uh i mean we have in siberia we have kind of severe natural climate but also in russia we have kind of severe political climate so it's like uh, russia is not the the worst place in the world for environmentalists it's like places in in latin america where uh, where people killed for for what they're doing so it's i mean that's true looking from the kind of european or from the perspective of democratic states, that's indeed severe conditions for, for, for activism. I mean, developing uh, in, in a bad way, um, in a bad direction. So that's true, but in, in even uh, poorer conditions, people uh, people fighting. So that's also kind of just a part of the environment and risk that people are accepting. I thought it was inspiring to hear that climate activists in Russia, even though it's very hard for them to take action, do accept the risks involved in taking this first climate case in Russia to their Supreme Court. Vitaly Sovetnik told me that their civil society is fragmented and the legal procedures aren't really working properly. But as he is working for system change, it was great, he thought, to get so many groups working together. The people who were involved were the Sami rights defenders up in the Arctic Circle, the young ones from Fridays for Future, and another group which was uh, Russia's oldest human rights group called the Helsinki Group. And that's also true that we started this case, I mean, not the, not the, during the war, but we started, I mean, everyone probably in every country started to discuss the uh, such possibilities in, in yes. their country. So we also did. It's just uh, more difficult to do such uh, things in Russia for also mm. various reasons. For one of the reasons that kind of the civil society segmented and also environmental movement maybe having different uh, approaches to environmental protection maybe more scientific more this conservationist 
approach and maybe try not to mix with human rights too much because that's considered for some representatives of the movement kind of polit- political and yeah. therefore that's risky. So that's also a question because of the societal um, kind of uh, fragmentation, lack of trust to each other, therefore it's difficult to cooperate. So that was one of the reasons as well but also that's a question like can we really try to uh, sue the state in the kind of not really legal where the legal um, procedures aren't really working properly so that's also a question and for the for all these questions we had to find an answer so we decided that yes even like uh, uh, it might be not a lot of chances to, to win on the russian court but that's also historically important that at least we have this 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 case this question filed in the history of the legal system of Russia as well and the history of the environmental movement as well. So it's more like, uh, I mean, at least it's like different people participating for also different reasons and for, for us as a, as, a, as a sociological organization and looking for the system change and this uh, yeah. collaborative and this uh, collective kind of answers and actions. So that's also important from this perspective. And uh, the whole process we spent, I think, uh, almost a year and a half for, for 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 talking to all the all the applicants, to uh, talking to all the organizations that somehow involved in the climate work. So we can also make sure that we want make their work uh, more difficult also because I mean some people might say oh you're doing this you you escalating the thing you you uh, you making our kind of lobby under the carpet uh, kind of discussions working with the government more difficult all of that that's also I mean different people might might say that but we, we at least we tried our best to make sure that everyone is aware is everyone who wants to participate is uh, asked and invited and those who decided we also did a lot of security assessments everything with all the all the plaintiffs and everything so that that was a really big process just for Australian audiences, why is Russia considered to be the fourth largest emitter of greenhouse gases? I know it's a large country, but what is making you the fourth largest emitter? Uh, I mean, it's a big country. It's also a country located in the north. Uh, so we need a lot of heating also. Uh, and also Russia has... Uh, a lot of industries uh, that, that requires also a lot of fuel and, and all the metals that uh, also ship to Europe and to Asia, uh, a lot of different materials, pretty much the case, the, the, the industry. I would say, uh, but also also a lot of pipelines transporting oil and gas, uh, they also kind of from the not properly repaired from the Soviet Union infrastructure. So it's yeah. also a lot of leakages on ah. the way. Yeah, and the, the technologies and the attitude towards the leaks and towards the efficiency of this process is also pretty much lacking in Russia. Well, that explains a lot because of the war we see on TV a lot in the news about Russia and these pipelines and where they go and where they might be sabotaged under the Baltic Sea and all this. And I can just imagine now that you say it, there's a lot of emissions associated with that that coming up from there. So that explains that. Well, in your case, you demand that the Russian government take measures to reduce emissions. What measures do you want? Uh, I mean, the the main thing would be to have the uh, more appropriate targets, because also we had this in the 90s, we have uh, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, we have a really big drop of the industry. So that was kind of already emissions were down. So Russia playing around that also saying that if we, we are measuring the like a, a Kyoto Protocol uh, towards that, that years, then Russia still can increase uh, its emissions and say that, oh yeah, we're still kind of uh, in line with, with that uh, with that targets. But in fact, it, it says that the current targets uh, uh, mean that Russia is planning to increase um, the emissions and it's what I mean, in the current circumstances uh, with the planet, that's just unacceptable and saying, oh, yeah, we had a low point uh, uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, so we can just keep increasing now. That's, I mean, 
not the way it should work, especially understanding that the, the heating happening in Russia, also because of, uh, Russia located pretty much on the north of the on the globe. The heating is increasing, uh, I think, twice more than the, in other places, uh, permafrost melting and everything that could be, I mean, triggered with that process is just, I mean, increasingly dangerous in Russia also due to the huge territory is responsible for for so many of the uh, land and this permafrost and forest that's just i mean the the huge responsibility also uh, on russia and, and that's why also the targets should be definitely uh, higher how much are you using renewable energy or how much is there a push to get renewable energy for your heating and for your industry I mean, we have a problem in Australia, the same thing. We've got so much coal and gas that it's a terribly tiresome transition, but we're pushing eventually slowly towards that ourselves. Are you doing that in Russia? I mean, um, doing something, but I think in the numbers, it's something, if, if we are not including the uh, big hydropower, uh, which we should not, uh, and then uh, then that would be something less than a percent, I think. Or around that so this is the kind of amount how russia so i mean some projects are happening also i am originally from the murmansk region up on the north but not the the eastern part but the western part so uh, as, as a member of the youth environmental group there uh, we were and we also have nuclear power plant there in the in, in that peninsula so we were pretty um, pretty much advocating against the prolongation of the nuclear against the the replacing with a new nuclear power plant all of that and we were promoting renewables also, also we have a really good potential there up north with the yeah. the huge winds and everything and uh, so we i mean that's also was we spent like i don't know like 10 years promoting oh. that and and in the in the end yeah because it's also connected to the governments we convinced one of the governor to actually have a strategic plan uh, of the development of the renewables in the region and kind of i mean that was like 2000 eight i would say and then the government change uh, uh changed uh, in the region and then therefore we have to start that from scratch this lobby work so um i just wanted to say that like in in that region we finally succeeded a couple of years ago they built the first uh, wind park there for um, i think it's a hundred or so megawatts i mean not a lot but i mean something in the in the process so i mean there's 10 years that we spent for for advocating for that kind of gave the fruits uh, i mean it's just a really long long term uh fruits we can get in russia but i mean still so we have some progress and also in some other regions also on the south of russia there are some solar projects because i mean also it's like krasnodar it's basically the, the black sea and the, a lot of sun also that could, could be used there but uh, so i mean we have some projects but again as i said in the beginning it's like one percent so this is the, the scale of the renewable yeah. energy just to expand that picture, Russia's domestic energy is 16% nuclear, 68% coal and gas, 16% hydro, and 1% renewable energy. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russia's emissions went down for a while. And apparently Russia argues in international forums that they can still increase emissions which I think is no worse than Australia using loopholes at Kyoto to keep polluting. As Vitaly says, it's unacceptable. Both countries have been voted as fossil of the year for obstructing negotiation. Hi there, music lovers. It's Jane. And Joe here. From Music, music Matters. Matters. We're here to remind and encourage you to either renew or subscribe to this extraordinary volunteer-based community radio station that is 3CR. Why? Well, for over 45 years, since 1976, it has provided a space for underrepresented voices and independent musicians outside of the commercial mainstream. We curate and talk to artists that entertain and inform you, whether it's personal, political or both. 3CR plays at least 55% Australian music each week, but Music Matters is always way above that. So the choice is yours. 
that will be good for your soul. $35 unwaged or concession. $75 waged. And $150 for solidarity, band or organisation. Go online for further details. 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Or ring the station during business hours. 9419 8377. You can listen to Music Matters from noon till 2 every every Friday. We're talking to Vitaly Sovetnik from the Russian Friends of the Earth group who are taking their government to court over inaction on climate change. I understand that environmental defenders are under a lot of pressure. I've read on your website about people arrested just for blocking a forest and that sort of thing. They can be arrested, especially at this time of tension. And I wonder how much do you think the media and general citizens see climate change as impacting on their lives? Do you you think they support you in this court case, the public and the media? Uh, Yeah, it also depends on the the region, on the place. I would say that, uh, I mean, yes, as also I said in the beginning, the the environment general situation, the civil society environment kind of is, uh, is, is pretty hostile. And also because the oil and the extraction is so essential for the Russian state, that's also those who are trying to limit that somehow or now. Uh, saying basically about the the reduction of the fossil fuels outside of the of Russia, advocating for for ban on on uh, by Russian fuels, they're basically considered as enemies of the state. I mean, the, probably all the environmentalists having this uh, critique that environmentalists against the economy and the development and all of that. So that's also the case in Russia. But when we just announced the the lawsuit, we also had a comment from the his third or fourth representative of the of the third or fourth biggest party in Russia. I mean, that's a kind of a partisan Russia kind of a joke a little bit, but he's still kind of the, the important uh, speaker in, in terms of the visibility. And he said that this is because some people some people commented from the kind of the government side that, oh, this is not really important, uh, especially uh, with what's happening now. Uh, but uh, but this person uh, said that that's actually really important and this is counterproductive to the Russian state and the court should investigate not the the climate thing but the people who filed the the lawsuit uh, so that uh, some people considering that very serious so yes activists of course uh, under uh, uh, risk with with all of that and and other issues and climate I mean that's also the the maybe the the more you feel that the more you you would support the case I mean from the general public. Also, also we've seen that people living in south of Russia, for example, they experience this crazy heat. I mean, the Russia is the northern country and having like now people in the city I'm from now, the St. Petersburg, they're really talking about the air conditioning when that wasn't for, for years, that wasn't the case even. And now it's just so extremely hot, especially in this kind of the huge buildings with the yeah. this beton and iron and glass and everything that's extremely yeah. impossible just to Concrete. live there because yeah. yeah that's crazy and people discussing about the the air conditioning and such so basically we need to to reconstruct the whole the whole infrastructure when people are living so people on in the in the south of russia who experiences all of that and also droughts and who uh, dealing with the agriculture they're saying oh yeah we've seen the differences we, we've seen the problem and also scientists uh, from that region would say, oh, there is no question that the climate change is happening and, and, and we have to do something and uh, and all of that. And maybe some people would see less of these changes and then therefore they will be focusing on some other issues. Like, I mean, in Russia, probably the, the main important uh, and most visible, I would say, uh, right? Because it's also should be visible issues. That would be just a, just a waste that people see in around them that government wants to uh, build incinerators or just landfills so people mostly i would say that would be the main environmental problem in russia because it's in your face and people protesting against that but the climate is also pretty visible thing for some categories also for indigenous people i I even didn't mention that the part of this uh, lawsuit the indigenous people and 
I remember, I think like 10 years ago, I wrote an article uh, about uh, the Sami people from the Skola Peninsula region uh, uh, as um, article that they're the first climate victims of that because also melting the perm- permafrost and the difficulties work with their herd, with their with their reindeers and uh, travel and, and all of that. So that's already... Just explain where they are, Sami people. I'm imagining like, I think of like Laplanders or something like that. What, yeah, the Sami, yeah, Sami people is a nation that kind of living in this area of the Kola Peninsula, also Scandinavian Peninsula. So you can find representatives in the fin- in Finland, Sweden, Norway, and also in Russia. Um, uh, I mean, also because of the the recognition of their rights uh, uh, in Scandinavian countries, they have the, the Sami Parliament across the countries. And uh, I mean, in 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 Russia, they 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 have more difficult situation than than in in other countries. But they are uh, pretty strong on also environmental issues. Yeah, because also they they're just able to discuss also their colleagues, their friends in other countries. And so this is kind of across. Uh, I think. I don't know uh, how unique, but but that's pretty interesting. This kind of across uh, current national borders, the nation that live in and also recognize. A lot of the people I interview are on front lines, are Indigenous people in Australia, Aboriginal people doing ceremony round the clock to stop a coal mine up in Queensland, all other parts of Australia. They're the ones who know, you know, oh, look, the water's disappearing. This river isn't flooding as it should, or it's flooding too much, or this is different than it used to be. Those people are much more in touch, I think, with long cycles of nature. And and so it's very important that the court hears them. You know, if they can get a hearing in the court, I think that's fabulous because you have to take them seriously. They are really ones who know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, we are happy that we have Indigenous people uh, on our side and also youth representatives because also yeah. that's a conversation about future generations. So it's also good that we have environmentalists, conservationists, human rights people, lawyers, indigenous people and youth that uh, kind of together saying that all of us already affected and will be affected even more. So you really have to do something. Yeah, well, I was impressed to see the Fridays for Future as part of your group. It's a coalition of many government, non-government groups. And and they're young people, I imagine they didn't go through the Soviet era, and yet they look at young people in Europe who can be in Extinction Rebellion, who can who can lock themselves onto buildings, who can, you know, throw paint at banks. And I think none of that's possible in Russia, or is it? You know, how much protest or how much energy can they put into it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the the protesting in Russia is is uh, pretty much different than protesting in other countries. I mean, uh, like I started like almost twenty years ago my activism, and I remember that was even po- that was possible to organize a demonstration and even maybe convince police that we are right and not the authorities that are trying to forbid us the demonstration. But that was kind of in the in the previous life, I would say. And now is if you go into protest, you're pretty much sure that you will be arrested and you will get a fine or maybe several days of detention. But what this Fridays for Future uh, people did for the recent years, also a pandemic kind of destroyed pretty much their efforts to bring this kind of the public the, this protest into the into the even the discourse on the climate uh, issues because before that was mostly like the 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 formal NGOs or the scientists or the expert talking about the issue, but uh, I believe uh, personally that the Fridays for Future they brought pretty much it's kind of public this this debate into the public into the media also because they started to go to uh, to protest on the streets basically bringing this issue to the streets to the public so they they i believe yeah that's also connected to the kind of history of environmental activism in russia this more professionalized more uh, scientific so they would be choosing this kind of tactics and uh, the approaches like try to avoid this politicization of the issue maybe being afraid also that that will make the dialogue or the conversation more more difficult uh, also knowing that the authorities there don't like protesters yeah. so that, that that was the thing but 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 this new generation uh, as you said that that, that didn't have experience to live in the Soviet Union that seeing that the human rights is something that uh, kind of natural and here and the constitution should be 
also looked at uh, if you want to protest. So I, I really uh, believe that they they contributed a lot to uh, making the climate debate kind of a more more public uh, issue. Yeah. yeah, and that's also super important that also joining the 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 legal action uh, and and not only the the protest. So that's that's we are really happy that we are bringing this kind of different uh, different approach, uh, people and groups together uh, for that. That's yeah. great. Well, look, I'd just like to talk a little bit sideways now because you're outside Russia and there's this energy crisis and people are talking about sanctions on Russian gas and and diesel oil. And your Russian economy is based on fossil fuel exports, largely like Australia. And I just want to know from you, is I don't think your court case is going to be about exports, but how within Russia are people going to stop that you know to stop the continued drilling for oil and and exporting of gas even trying we we try very much here especially on coal but the next thing for us is gas and then after that it's going to be lithium and copper you know for the renewables because we're, we're just digging this country up <laughs> without much respect oh yeah that's yeah that's really important also to mention that we are not it's not like we are excited for this green economy because the green <laughs> economy will just bring uh, bring new drillings and new new extractions for the new materials for the green so-called green energy so it's like also i mean russia has all sorts of minerals uh, and metals we already seen the the nickel for example, for the batteries, also from my region, from the Murmansk region, uh, we have uh, the Narilsk nickel, the, the one of the global companies providing nickel that also when, when some even environmental groups uh, promoting the the electric cars, we saying, hey, if we actually know what that would mean, that the more extraction of the of that in our, our region. So it's not like we are super excited for for renewables. I mean, we have to talk about the, the reduction uh, more than the they're just replacing and that, that's uh, that's super important also to, to underline and in russia especially because uh, um, i'm mostly working with environmental human rights defenders issue specifically so we are kind of afraid of this what would be coming with the with the renewables and and i was always trying to notify also people in europe uh, you know, saying that uh, just make sure that you are not just switching from one raw materials to another one because that will bring even more uh new opening of the extraction of the new territories but back to the back to the oil and gas and all of that i mean the protesting is extremely difficult but still we have communities that are uh, affected directly like the the coal mine is basically putting some houses and communities in danger because it's just like the 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 part of the land just just falling down uh, because of the coal extraction so people i mean even that's dangerous that's the existential threat so people people protest anyway in different parts and also we've seen people protesting the indigenous people uh, trying to oppose these uh, things we have group a uh, very active group in Komi who is monitoring all these oil spills and the the huge amount of oil just like basically leaked around tundra and they are documenting all of that and saying exposing all the all these problems a way to show that uh what 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 actually russian uh, uh oil uh, means for the for the nature for the local communities well look it's fascinating talking to you and i really wish you luck with that case even i think the case has been delayed now hasn't it but if you take it to a further court and further court keep it in the news it's a all around the world, those cases have been doubling and tripling in the last few years. Court cases around climate, about future generations, in defense of young people, in defense of indigenous people. This this seems to be a trend and it's just got to keep going on. But meanwhile, we're having an old-fashioned war in the middle and an energy crisis, for goodness sake. So I'm really glad we've heard from you. Is there anything else you'd like to say that I haven't touched on for the Australian audience. Many of us in listening to this program will be members of Friends of the Earth and there's plenty of battles on here like that. So would you like to say something to the audience? 
maybe I would just um, like to add that um, I mean I understand that what's what's happening uh, in Ukraine that that's a, that's a horrible thing and I mean I'm myself half Ukrainian my father from Ukraine so that's that's a real tragedy for a lot of Russian people uh, I just maybe want to say that and it's easy to say and we are seeing this in neighboring countries this kind of anti-Russian rhetoric and and that's uh, kind of a risky I mean I understand the emotional side of that that's it's just easy to say that oh we have to just like close mm -hmm. and forget this uh, goddamn country and this uh, territory but i just wanted to say that we really have a lot of people who are opposing that who 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 opposing that maybe uh, even silently because that's that takes a lot of courage to to oppose the the war um uh, vocally but we also have a lot of people uh, protested uh, in the beginning of the war and uh, this kind of the, the guerrilla protesters that doing graffiti and all the stickers around the country and everything and we are seeing that a lot of people do not support that and a lot of activists also keep their work or also we have several dozens of environmentalists who opposed the war and had consequences for that we have a special kind of the the monitoring for, for those people so we just i just wanted to say that uh, it's like not everyone supporting the war a lot of actually people and in the situation where it's illegal to call it to even call it a war in russia you can get up to 15 years imprisonment for for calling that a war so the, in these circumstances, uh, a lot of people are brave enough to 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 uh, uh, raise their voices to protest, and uh, that's just I mean uh, very important to us to, uh, that that other people also know that it's not like everyone here crazy and and should be just no. just forgotten, and also the civil society in Russia still needs support. I mean, of course, Ukraine first, no questions here, but the, the people are still staying in Russia and they deciding to stay in Russia because uh, their work or families, they cannot leave. They they decided to stay also, uh, like whatever the consequences and, and they still need need support uh, and um, in many ways. Uh, the, so, the, so basically we, we will have support to resist now and also support uh, in order to that someone can rebuild russia when after this uh, yeah. this will end at some point so the civil society will have to uh, to be and help to to rebuild what what, what have, uh, everything that is being ruined now also with what's what's happening i mean the in the in the society terms yes uh, as well oh fantastic yeah. i'm so glad that you were outside russia to be able to speak so frankly, I was thinking that you might be in trouble for even speaking. I was going to be very careful how I asked the questions. But thank you so much for giving us this insight into your country. And I think this international solidarity of like Friends of the Earth, of Greenpeace, of all these groups around the world with this common problem that we've all got climate change, we've all got fossil fuels, we've all got this big, big challenge to our life. In our lifetime, we've got to get on top of it. So thank you very much. We're all in sympathy, I'm sure, with your situation. So we've been talking to Vitaly Sovetnik, who is from the, what is the organization again? It's a Russian Socio-Ecological Union and we are friends of the Earth Russia also. Oh, yes, yes. Russian eco-socialist. No, no, not eco-socialist. What is it? Social ecological. Social ecological. Social ecological. Thank you very much. Um, and goodbye. Thank and you. Goodbye. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.
Siberian throat music song by Otikan called Storm. It's dedicated to giving kindness and warm light to all people on earth. And the indigenous Cholia people say that the magical power of their music will heal your soul and your body, and it can even send you into a trance. In mid-June, meteorologists and climate scientists noticed something odd happening in the Russian Arctic. On the 20th of June, a weather station in eastern Siberia recorded a new record for the Arctic Circle, 38 degrees Celsius. While Siberia does get surprisingly hot in summer, the record is a troubling reminder of the rapid changes occurring in the Arctic due to climate change. The Arctic is one of the fastest warming regions of the planet. In May this year, temperatures were 10 degrees above average in Siberia. To put that in context, January 2020 in Australia, the third hottest January so far recorded, was only 1.5 degrees above average. Wildfires have been burning in Siberia since May. The Arctic sea ice could reach its second lowest level on record, and permafrost is melting. To find out more about what is happening in Russia and what Russian people think about climate change, I spoke to Angelina Davidova, an environmental journalist based in St. Petersburg. My name's James Whitmore. All right, Angelina. So can you tell us what's been happening in the Arctic over the past months? Right. The Arctic has been all over the news in Russia, uh, mainly due to a number of um, reasons. One of the reasons is the warm Arctic and how high the temperatures are. In some parts of the Russian Arctic, it has been as hot as 30 degrees centigrade, which is very rare for the region. So it has been very warm. Uh, news number two is that uh, this warming is leading to permafrost melting. And there are more and more studies coming out which say how dangerous will it be and how all these processes are already happening and taking place now. And news number three has been a large spill of oil products from a metal company called Norilsk Nickel. Uh, this is the company which produces uh, nickel and uh, a number of other rare metals, also for global consumers. And uh, they had a storage of oil products like for their own use. And uh, then this storage cracked and there was a massive leak of oil products into the earth, into the rivers, and uh, it's really one of the largest um, spill of oil products in the history of the Russian Arctic. And that's linked to this permafrost melting, is that correct? Right. It's like one of the reasons, well, the company says uh, the main reason for that leakage is permafrost melting. So the base of the oil product storage has cracked because the earth became soft. Uh, but then in many environmentalists are also saying that the company is willing to put all the blame into climate change and not take personal responsibility for not checking um, the condition the storage was in. So I believe it's a combination of factors. And I've also seen that this week there have been fires in Siberia. Right. The fires have been uh, there since May. And uh, we all remember last year's fires in Russia and also in Australia. And uh, this year, the fire season in, uh, in the eastern part of Russia has already started, uh, started in May. And now the fires are becoming larger and larger. So far, they're mostly taking place in the areas which are not close to human settlements. This is why you don't get it in the news. Also in the news in Russia, they regularly give statistics about how many fires are out there. But unless it really concerns people, unfortunately, it usually doesn't make into like front page stories. And what are scientists saying about why uh, Russia is seeing um, this ex extreme heat recently, the fires, the permafrost melting? Well, those are obvious consequences of climate change. Um, it's not only about Russia, it's about, you know, Earth as such and our planet as such. It's just negative consequences of climate change. They have uh, various impacts over various countries and regions and continents. And uh, Russia being a northern country and also a country very close to the Arctic and which 
uh, has um, a, you know the most the largest part of the Arctic obviously sees consequences which are more typical for Arctic areas and northern areas and uh, which means uh, one of the negative consequences is the melting permafrost because it becomes warmer it becomes much warmer in summers and also the winters are also becoming warmer so this is one of the reasons and um, as to the wildfires well it mostly concerns uh, boreal forests like taiga forests located in the Siberian part of the country that is east uh, and southeast of Russia so like Siberia and the far east of Russia this is where uh, once again the winters are becoming milder there's less snow and uh, in case of Russia and in case of water supply snow is the so-called slow water it means snow keeps water for long and then it gradually releases water when it's needed but if we have less snow we also have less water for the forests and for the water systems all the year around which means um, it's getting drier over there and uh, there are more wildfires originating just out of natural reasons and how are these events being talked about in among russian people is the link being made with climate change well uh, gradually yes I would say I've been someone who's been covering the topic for the last 10 years and I remember that say 10 years ago that was a completely unimportant topic. No one was really interested in it, people were making jokes about climate change, like how climate change is good for Russia, like we won't, it will become warmer, we're tired of living in the cold and all this. But now seeing all the negative consequences of climate change, uh, including wildfires, and including melting permafrost and its impacts on infrastructure, even though there's not much infrastructure in those areas, but still, um, people gradually start thinking about climate change as a dangerous factor. So nowadays, if you ask people like in the street about main environmental challenges, they would probably say that waste and recycling is number one, uh, air pollution and air quality is number two, uh, green areas, especially urban green areas, is number three. But then they would probably still name climate change as number, I don't know, seven or number eight. Now I have a feeling like people acknowledge that, that it's here and that it's not only beneficial for Russia. So the awareness and the acknowledgement of the climate change and its risks uh, is here. What's been the Russian government's approach to climate change um, and particularly in reducing emissions? Here, likewise, as with the public, um, a few years ago, that has been a very marginal topic. And uh, also the politicians were making jokes about how Russia is uh, will benefit from climate change. And we don't need to do anything. And we have so many forests, so we will uh fulfill our climate targets and we will also help the whole world with our forests but that uh kind of approach uh began changing at around 2009 that was the climate the Copen copenhagen cop 15 the united Nations conference and um that was when uh, russia's president at the time dmitry medvedev came for the first time to the u.n climate conference and he announced that, yeah, we're with the rest of the world who acknowledge there is a problem and we're going to be doing something about it. And then uh, Russia's climate doctrine, which is like a baseline document for all climate legislation in Russia, has been adopted. And then later uh, we saw some further legislation passed along. Last year, Russia uh, joined the Paris Agreement. Uh, there's also um, there's been a draft... Uh, of the low carbon long-term development strategy presented this March. Uh, also a country, the climate change adaptation plan has been adopted in January this year. And also legislation on carbon reporting and carbon monitoring and uh, a possible discussion on the introduction of a carbon price in Russia has been studied by the Minister of Economics. So um, the topic is now being taken more seriously and uh, most uh, like scientists and politicians, they all say that climate change is here. 
it's important. Russia is taking part in all international agreements which are out there and we treat it seriously. But this is all in wording. If we look up at the figures and at particular climate reduction uh, targets, we see that they are highly ambitious. So at the moment, Russia is around 30% below its greenhouse emissions in 1990. That happened for Russia and also for a number of other Eastern European countries because of the economic downturn, because of the economic fall of the 90s which means we've over fulfilled our Kyoto targets without doing much. Uh, but then our um, contribution, our NDC, our like plan for the Paris Agreement uh, at the moment is something between minus 30 and minus 33 from, from the 1990 levels, which means we've already achieved it, or maybe, you know, it will be just a couple further percent, which is like, not very much. And um, also our draft for the low carbon long-term development strategy, um, it, uh, it doesn't say that we will aim for the uh, zero emission target by 2050. It might happen under one of the scenarios in late 21st century, but not anytime soon. So in a way, the problem is being recognized but there's not much being done in that respect. And also the climate policy is rather inambitious. Yes, Australia is wrestling with some of the same problems. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you've been at the forefront of environmental journalism in Russia. How have you seen reporting on climate change and the environment change over the past decade? Well, I have a feeling there's been a surge in environmental reporting over the last few years. Like environmental topics are high in political agenda, social agenda, everyday life agenda. People are willing to read about it, to write about it. There's a huge demand for environmental information. But when I say environmental, like people are mostly interested in local environmental issues. And those are like for urban issue cities that would be waste and recycling, air quality, green areas, trees, water, wildfires, if they live in that region. So those would be it. Um, bringing in climate reporting to Russia was not an easy task because in many ways it seems too abstract. It also didn't seem relevant for many people. Like how does it concern my life when, you know, a tree in a park does concern my life? You know, what I smell in the air does concern my life. But then, uh, and also uh, landfills do concern my life. But how do I see climate change happening? And, um, but I believe, well, at first that um, uh, now we're seeing more negative consequences of climate change. People also started paying more attention to it. And there are also more articles about climate change, like negative aspects of climate change. Another very important topic for Russia with regard to climate change is um, the fact that many other countries who are buying Russia's oil, coal, and gas are going to uh, enter a decarbonization path, meaning they will probably be buying less of it. And uh, some of the countries, like the European Union, is even in, in its Green Deal, is even talking about introduction of the carbon water adjustment mechanism which is a kind of a border tax on all goods and services and everything which is produced outside of the EU and then being imported into the EU. And uh, so the producers will have to pay an extra amount of money if it's produced in a place which doesn't have any price on carbon. Uh, so this is something which concerns Russia and this is something which concerns Russian business a lot and they are becoming increasingly worried about it and um, about these two factors, because Russia's economy is pretty much based and built around production and exports of fossil fuels, minerals, and metals. And uh, this is why all these questions are very important for Russia. And this is why Russian businesses and Russian economic analysts are looking at what other countries are doing. What about demand? What about carbon taxes? What's gonna happen with the, with the decarbonized economy? Again, very similar to the questions that Australia is talking about. Um, oh. Finally, Angelina, 
I just wanted to ask you, how did you become interested in climate change and become an environmental journalist? <laughs> wow, it's a long story, but I'll try to put it short. So um, I went into journalism in 1999, and I worked for five years being an um, economic correspondent and run, uh, writing about economy and business for a local um, economic newspaper. So I started uh, doing and managing projects for international nonprofits, for international NGOs, including cooperation between countries in various areas. And this is how one of the projects which came to me was a very interesting one. It was a sail ship which was supposed to go from Germany to Russia along the southern coast of the Baltic Sea. And in every uh, large city where it stopped, uh, there would be a festival which would join culture and environmental problems. Like how do we show uh, an issue of Baltic Sea pollution through movies or through photography or through dance or something. And I was the one responsible for the environmental component in St. Petersburg. And this is how I became interested in the topic. This is how I thought, wow, maybe environmental problems are really about common good, and global good and also cooperation in this area is kind of, it's a very good thing for the whole of humanity. And then after that, I, uh, I started doing more projects in the area of environmental cooperation. And I also got involved in a youth project, uh, which was teaching youth from many countries about UN climate change negotiations, what is being done there, how can we participate, what is UN language, what can we do as youth? So I got involved in that. And then after a couple of years, I realized that I like journalism and I want to go back into journalism. And I started writing about the topic of which I knew a lot about. That was environmental and climate policy, economics. So I usually, I don't re really write a lot about science, but I do write a lot about topics which kind of stay at the crossroads between, uh, say, climate or environment and policy or climate and environment and economics or society. And uh, this is how I became an environmental journalist, and this is what I'm still doing. That was Russian journalist Angelina Davidova talking to 3CR's James Whitmore on our show in 2020. Hi there, 3CR listeners. This is Shane Howard, the Gowana fella. These are strange and tough times, and a lot of people are doing it really hard. But they will pass. Be kind to yourself and others. Buy local, and like 3CR, support local businesses and local artists. Thank you for listening to the Climate Action Show on Community Radio 3CR in Melbourne and Skid Row in Sydney. Thank you to our guests, Vitaly Sovetnik from Friends of the Earth Russia and to Friends of the Earth in Melbourne who alerted me to this court case. Thanks also to James Whitmore for his interview with Russian journalist Angelina Davidova. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck. This is coal. Don't be afraid. The Don't be scared. Treasure. It's coal. It's coal. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show.